Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, It is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. So we're in this series, we're going through the book of John, and we're talking about it from this perspective of seeing Jesus as told by the disciple, John, who knew his love. And uh, all the disciples, of course, knew that Jesus loved them, but there's just something unique about John and how he wrote about Jesus and his love for them. He knew his love in a way that I think the other disciples, at least at this point in the process, didn't really get. And we'll get into that a little bit later in the book of John. But what we are finding is John uh, writing this letter in such a way where he's, he's showing us that Jesus is taking physical seen things and he's helping us understand unseen things because if we don't if we're not careful we're going to think that that which we can see is reality and and certainly there is a reality that what we can see taste touch and feel of course but what i think john is trying to get us to understand and more importantly the holy spirit is that there is a greater reality a deeper reality uh paul says it like this Don't look at that which is seen, but that which is what? Unseen. For that which is seen is temporary, that which is unseen is eternal. Uh, Paul says in in the book of Romans that everything that has been created, okay, that's it. Everything you can taste, touch, feel, and, you know, experience. Everything that has been created is created to reveal to us the one who created it. So when you look at a a flower, for example, this is in the notes, this is free, no charge for this one. When you look at a flower and you see that a flower, there's a bulb in the ground or a seed, and that seed opens up to reveal a life that comes forth. And that life that comes forth is completely dependent upon this big ball of nuclear fusion happening gazillion miles away that without which this flower would have nothing. And all day long as that big ball of gas is going across the horizon. This flower is literally staring at it and is simply receiving its energy through this process scientists have called what? Photosynthesis. But what I believe Paul and the scriptures are saying is like that that thing right there helps us understand an unseen reality that we through just simple receiving and dependency upon the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we are energized. We receive energy, uh, spiritual life. We receive uh, 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 this living water that Paul, Jesus has been talking about in chapter 4 that breathes life into us. By what? By effort? By work? No, by receiving. Just as in that plant, the light turns through this thing of photosynthesis into glucose and sugars, and it gives energy and life for that plant. That was done not to 
just simply create a plant, but to reveal to us there's something bigger, there's something greater. And that's just a quick little simple illustration about a plant, but every single system, every single thing of creation helps us understand the uncreated. And so what I see John constructing through chapters one through four where, where we've been is, guys, look, there is a scene, but there's an unseen. And the unseen God became seen to help us really understand this unseen reality. And so we're going to pick up in chapter four, and David did an amazing job last week. Hopefully you were here for it as he started this, uh, this, this interaction between Jesus and this woman at the well. And we're going to just read through what David uh, read last week just to get a rolling start into verse 26 because uh, I was just going to summarize it. And then I was like, it's going to take as much time to summarize it as just to read it. So let's just read it real quickly going into chapter 20, uh, verse 26. So therefore, when the Lord, Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not the one baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee. So he's going from Jerusalem in the south up north to Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to the city of Samaria named Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. That's noon. So six hours after the sun came up. So if the sun came up at six o'clock, this is six hours later, noon. There was a woman, verse 7, of Samaria uh, to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you this living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then will you get this living water? Again, and David talked about this. I'm not going to go into it. Physical, a water and well, but Jesus is transferring to something spiritual, seen, unseen. So cool. Uh, verse uh, next, uh, 12. You are not greater than our Jacob father, are you, who gave us this well and drank of it himself and all his sons and his cattle? The question is, are you greater than Jacob? And it's like, Jesus is like, yeah, I am. Uh, Jesus answered to her and said, anyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. Physical. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give, spiritual, he will never thirst. But the water that I give will become a living well of, of water springing up into eternal life. The woman said to him, give us, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw this because this, this is a lot of effort coming back and forth. He said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have said correctly, you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you are now with is not your husband. <laughs> this you have said truly, you don't have a husband. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you people, Jews, say that in Jerusalem is the place where people, men ought to worship. So she's trying to... Uh, open up this can of debate between the Jews and the Samaritans. Jesus said to her, woman, uh, uh, be, believe me, the hour is coming when, we, when, uh, 
when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he'll declare everything to us. In other words, okay, I hear what you're saying, but there's this guy coming who's going to really tell us the answers. And Jesus says, this is the last verse from last week. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So that's what we looked at last week, and David did a fantastic job of unpacking that. We had a great conversation at the end. So I'm going to pick up the very next verse, starting in verse 27. I just wanted to get us a rolling start in the context of, of where we are. So Jesus and this woman have been there. They've been discussing. He knows all about her. She's kind of blown away at, but at what he's said about her. And at this point, his disciples came. So where were the disciples? You remember? They'd gone to get some what? Food. Because they were hungry. And Jesus was thirsty. He was at the well. And they were amazed that he had come, had been speaking with a woman. Yet, nobody said to him, why do you, what do you seek? Well, why are you speaking with her? So they were amazed. They're confused. Amazed. That, that word amazed is like this idea of perplexed. Why is he talking with a woman? Now, what's the big deal about Jesus talking with a woman? Well, for me, it's like, that's not a big deal, right? He talks with a lot of women. But what we don't understand is that in their culture, at a well, speaking with women at a well is very, uh, uh, very um, specific. Follow with me. And David mentioned this, referred to this a little bit last week. But when Abraham's servant went to the, uh, back to the homeland to find a wife, where did Abraham's servant find Rebekah, a wife for his son Isaac? Anybody remember? Found her at a well. He went to the well to find a wife for, uh, for Isaac. Isaac and Rebekah had two kids. Jacob was one of those kids. Does anybody happen to remember where Jacob found Rachel? Yeah, you guys are quick. At a well. I didn't know you guys knew Genesis that closely. Uh, but at a well. Now, now, let's fast forward a few generations. Moses. Moses, he leaves Egypt uh, after he killed the Egyptian. He goes across to, and he comes across this group of people where eventually he becomes a shepherd. But he meets a woman, meets a girl, Zipporah, at a well, ironically enough. And so what, uh, and, and I'm not a, a, a Jewish culture expert, so I listen to those who are. And there's this guy named Aaron Budgen, who is a Jewish uh, uh, historical expert, I would say. And what he talks about is that the well, the, the, the town well, was a common meeting place for young bachelors and young bachelorettes, I guess, to meet and to congregate to talk about getting together and about courting, and about, you know, the things of relationships. It's kind of like, I don't know, today, uh, Facebook, you know, chats or something, like reaching out to somebody, say, hey, you know, I know it's been a while since I've done this, you know, so however that looks, or, or like going to the movies, or going to dinner, going to the date, you know, doing the club thing, whatever that looks like, it's that same concept where they would go to the, the well, and that was the place where men would basically say, hey, I'm available. And women were there, yeah, to draw water and to do the water thing, but it was a social gathering to connect 
people together for the purpose of marriage. That was the idea. According to Aaron Budgen, don't, don't take my word for it. He's the Jewish historical expert, not me. And so Jesus, he, here's why the perplexion from the disciples, not just that he's talking to a woman, he talks with plenty of women, right? But he was talking to a woman where? At a well. You see now? Now that makes sense why he's so perplexed. They're so perplexed, amazed that he's talking to this well, talking to a well, talking to a woman at a well. And so Jesus is connecting to this woman at this well. So here's the deal. Jesus is at this well, but he's not simply to propose to this one woman to be his bride or to connect with a woman for his own self. But I believe that Jesus being at this well, at this point in his ministry, talking with this woman, I think is to be seen as this idea, according to Aaron Budgen as well, not just my own thoughts, that he's showing himself available for a bride. He's showing himself available, just like who? Isaac's servant who went to find Rebekah, just like Jacob who went to the well to show his available for Rachel, and just like Moses found Zipporah, uh, Jethro's daughter, at the well. Jesus at this well is this picture of showing himself available for a bride. But of course, Jesus wasn't like Isaac and Jacob and Moses at all because he wasn't there for a single woman. It's much bigger, the seen and the unseen. I see this as a picture of Jesus showing his availability for the bride of Christ, who is, as we know now on this side of it, the church, each one of us who say yes to his proposal for oneness, for intimacy, to be his bride. In John chapter 2, Jesus was at a what? A wedding. And now in John chapter 4, he's at a well where you get that wedding, this stuff started. And so they're amazed that he's talking to a woman at a well because you talk to a woman at a well if you want to court them, you want to start dating them. And so they're very perplexed by it. So she's blown away by what they've been talking about. The next verse is really cool. Verse 28, the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men of the city, come see a man who told me all the things I have done. What are all those things? She had had what? Five husbands and the man she's with is not her husband. Is this not the Christ? Uh, this is not the Christ, is it? She, I mean, she, she wants some advice, some help. They went out of the city and they were coming to him at the what? At the well. And why do people, obviously you go to a well for water, but it was a social gathering to show your availability. I think this is so cool, this shadow, this picture, according to Aaron Budge, and again, I'm not the Jewish historical expert. He is. We're talking about this centering around the well. This is, again, this idea of Jesus showing his availability. And who is he making himself available to? Not Jews here, but what? Samaritans who are despised by the Jews. We'll get into that a little bit more here in a second. So go back to verse 29, 8. The woman left her water pot. John didn't need to include that, did he? I mean, what's a, I mean, that's kind of a specific little thing. Like, why did he include that? You know, scrolls, we forget this, but scrolls were expensive. And so you don't put details in a narrative unless they're very, very important. 
it's not like paper today where you just you know have a shelf full of it. This is very, very expensive to write stuff down. And so every word, in my opinion, therefore is very, very important, or else they wouldn't have put it. She left her water pot. Why did he include this? Remember, she had been coming from the city to this well day after day after day to get water. How valuable. Let's think about it. It's hard for us. We just turn off a, 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 what's it called? a faucet on and we have water. It's hard for us to really imagine this. How valuable do you think that water pot was? You see this? I mean, that's, that's probably one of the most valuable things that that woman had. Because this water pot, water, water pot, I would say, imagine like a math equation. Water pot equals life. No water pot, no life. Because we know that you have to have water in order to live. And so she leaves it. No water pot equals what? No life. Why would she do that? She leaves it behind. I think it's because she found a greater source of life. Remember what he said to her? He said, you drink of this water. Like, I see him like, you know, two thumbs pointing to himself. Like, this water, you drink of this water and you'll never thirst again. Now, he's obviously not talking about physical water. Like, this woman has to drink water again. I mean, physically, her body's going to uh, dehydrate and she'll die. I mean, we understand that physically. But Jesus is moving beyond the physical to the spiritual, from the seen to the unseen. And I think she is so blown away by what he has offered her, this deep, satisfying life that what she came to that well for, she totally has forgotten about because she has been satisfied at her deepest core. David mentioned this last week, and, I, and it's worth echoing because it's so awesome. The fact that this woman comes to this well over and over and over and over for water, David talked about last week, is a shot, it's a picture of just like in the old covenant, people kept coming over and over and over to the priests and to the temple for the forgiveness of their sins, for cleansing over and over, just like this woman is coming over and over back every single day to get more water. But that's not the way, as David talked about last week, of the new covenant. In the new covenant, Jesus has forgiven us of all of our sins, past, present, and future, once and for all. And so in the new covenant, there isn't any more coming back to the well over and over and over to get cleanliness, to get forgiveness. And so the fact that this woman leaves her water pot there, it's a beautiful shadow, foreshadow picture of in this new covenant, we don't keep coming back to priests and pastors and even to Jesus to get more and more forgiveness. Because in this new covenant, he has given us a well within us of righteousness, of forgiveness, of purity, of perfection once and for all. Jesus' promise to her was that if she drank from him, she'd never be thirsty again. In other words, Jesus put an end to that old system of coming back to that well over and over for forgiveness, over and over for forgiveness. She, he put an end to it because now the well is where? In you. In you. And so it's just beautiful. And remember last week I had 
in our, in our discussion time, I just Googled what the name of this city, Shakar, means. And one of the definitions, one, one of the things it means is the, the idea of an ending. So at this well, it's a beautiful shadow, foreshadowing of the ending of that system of going back and forth, back and back and back, over and over and over for forgiveness, for cleanliness, for more of Jesus, more righteousness. I need to get more. That has ended because now the well of living water is now in us, never to leave us, never to forsake us. And he isn't going anywhere. Now, of course, she's going to have to drink physical water again for her physical body, but that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that her deepest, most innermost recesses of her soul would be satisfied. Just like, who asked for the song? Was it you that asked for the song, um, of Be Thou My Vision? And there's that line in there, something about the satisfaction of, of my soul in the, in the chorus part. And when, when we sang that, my, my heart just sprung to life because like, that's exactly what's going on here with this woman. She had sought satisfaction the same way we do as human beings. She had thought, sought satisfaction for her soul in relationships. She had sought it through marriage. She had sought it through sex. She had sought it through acceptance of the culture, of men, through attachment. She had sought satisfaction through this idea of being someone else's five times. And we've been there. I mean, we've all been there. The, the idea of I now have value. I'm trying to gain value through these things. And that's exactly where we find ourselves so many times. And I hear Jesus saying, listen, as long as you seek deep satisfaction, purpose, and joy from the things of creation, you will always come up empty. It's always, always going to be empty. You're going to keep coming to this well over and over because you're never going to be satisfied. But if we turn from looking to creation, other people, relationships, this world, to, to satisfy those deepest longings of our soul, if we turn from creation now to the creator, the one who created it all, the one who can't actually satisfy, then now we are filled in the deepest recesses of our soul, never to thirst again, only the creator can satisfy. And so it's just this beautiful image, this beautiful picture. Like, like if you're thinking of land, I really want to get a cool tattoo. Here it is. A well with a water pot right there. And nobody's there because you left the water pot because you don't need the water pot anymore because the well is now in you. So cool. I want to trademark that tattoo. All right. So then, uh, so she goes to the city and all these people start coming out because they're curious. He told you all that stuff about you. Uh, we knew it, but he knew it. And so now, meanwhile, the disciples, remember, they came up to Jesus, amazed that he's talking with this woman, and they are urging him, Rabbi, eat. They're worried about his physical, you know, status, his blood sugar is getting low, whatever. Look at what Jesus says in verse 32. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Now, this is very confusing. The woman was confused when Jesus started talking about water that she didn't know about, the physical, the seen, to the spiritual, the unseen. And now Jesus is doing it with his disciples. They're talking about physical food, and now he's starting to talk about something else, something spiritual, something unseen. Look at this. So the disciples were saying to one another, 
no one brought him anything to eat, did they? <laughs> like, we went to town to get food. Did somebody else bring him some food? They're confused. Once again, Jesus is taking the conversation from the seen to the unseen. He did it in chapter 1 with his baptism. He did it in chapter 2 with the wedding. He did it in chapter 3 with Nicodemus. He did it in chapter 4 earlier with the woman at the well. And now he's doing it here with his disciples, the seen to the unseen. He says he has food. The disciples are thinking peanut butter and jelly. But Jesus is talking about something deeper, something unseen. What is Jesus talking about? Verse 34. He said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So what is food? Obviously, food is what sustains us. Food is what gives us energy, life, you know, to be able to continue on. And what Jesus is saying, does Jesus need to eat physical food? Of course, because he's physically a man, but he's taking the conversation deeper. He's not leaving it just at surface level. He sees an opportunity to take his disciples from just what can be seen to something that cannot be seen. And so he says, what sustains me, what fuels me is to do the will of him who sent me. Now, how many of us have pondered the question? I know I have many times. What is the will of God? What is the will of God? What is the will of God for my life? I mean, books have been written. Libraries are filled, bookstores filled with the books on the will of God and doing the will of God. And you ask a different person, they'll give you a different answer. I want to just kind of come back to the 35,000 foot view here and get out of the weeds of the, the specific will of God here and just look at it in the general terms. The word will is what we, we, we think of, you know, what God desires for us to do. And that's, that's, that's important. But the word will has a better, bigger context, a bigger idea. It's the same word that we use when we talk about your last will and testament. When you write a will for what someone else is going to get, you what? Die. We understand this. That's the word will. This is, it's what you want to have happen when you die. And there are three English words that get translated from the similar Greek word here for will. The three words are will, testament, and covenant. And so what I hear Jesus saying is my food is to enact, to inaugurate the will of God. Not, not just simply what he wants me to do today, but this big, hairy, audacious goal of bringing in, inaugurating his covenant, his last will and testament. And you can read what the last will and testament go all the way back to Genesis chapter 15. And we don't have time to go in there, but I really encourage you to look at it. And this is where God is promising this stuff to Abraham. The promise namely is that people would be the dwelling place of God, that God would give himself to people. That's, I mean, there's a lot more in it, but that's the big idea. And in this arrangement with Abraham, typically God and Abraham would make a covenant together. And, and they would say, basically, over my dead body, will I back out on this promise that I'm making? But what happened uniquely was that Abraham was put over here asleep, and two other entities, a smoking pot and a fiery flame, went through these animals. It's on John, Genesis 15. And they covenanted together. They made a will. They made a testament. They made a covenant together, not with Abraham, because they knew Abraham, man, couldn't keep their end of the bargain. And so God himself, I think the Father and the Son, 
made this covenant together. This is the will of God, that the dwelling place of God will be in man and man in God, not dependent upon man, but based on his promise to himself. Hebrews helps us to understand. And so what I hear Jesus saying is, my food is, I'm here. What really sustains me and fuels me is to inaugurate the will, the testament, the, the, the covenant that God established hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago while Abraham was sleeping when we passed through these cut open animals. Now, when is someone's will, testament, testimony, covenant, when does that go into effect? Well, we all know in our own lives, if you have a will, your will, what you bequeath to your kids, will not go into effect until you what? Until you die. And so here the food, listen to what Jesus is saying. This is the food of him, the food, what sustains me, what fuels me, is inaugurating the will of God, and in order for the will of God, the, 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 the last will and testament of God to be inaugurated, in order for that to happen, God must what? Die. So the fuel of Jesus, his food, is to bring about this covenant, this new covenant, that is based upon a promise between God and God, Hebrews talks about, and in order for that to happen, the one who made the testament, the one who made the will, has to die. So Jesus' food is not peanut butter and jelly sandwiches from Capernaum. His fuel is there to bring about this death, this covenant, this new covenant through his own death. And Jesus, he's like, I love it. He takes the scene and he's opening their eyes to the unseen. Now, before we read these next few verses, it's clear that they don't get it. And they don't get it. They don't get it till in the, later in the book of Acts. They mean the disciples. They don't get it. They don't have the Holy Spirit in them. They don't have a new heart. They, they, they're still thinking that this whole kingdom is about kicking the Romans out and establishing a brand new Israel, just like David had. So Jesus is taking the time, three plus years, to, to, to open their eyes to understand that this is not about the seen, but there's something unseen. And he does a beautiful job right here in my opinion, of giving them an illustration about harvest. He says, do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. All right. Okay, Jesus, what's, what's that all about? Well, he fortunately gives us this summary sentence in verse 38 to bring this together to help us understand what the heck he's talking about. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Now look at this last little bit. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. So uh, this can mean a thousand and four different things. We don't have time to discuss all thousand and four. I'm going to give you one thing that I think this paragraph means. If you have a different thought, we'll open up the floor. Please share your thoughts. 
But of all the things this possibly mean, I think that this fundamentally is Jesus revealing to them that he is going to do a work on their behalf. I sent you, you who? Not the drink, but you Jews, I sent you to harvest. I gave you the law. I gave you the commandments for you to produce. But you can't because of the power of sin that is alive in your flesh. And no matter how hard you try, you're going to fail because the power, the, the, the sin is actually fueled by the commandments, by the law. And so the more adherence to the law you have, the more sinning you do. I sent you, but you can't do it. That's why I'm here. Look at this. Others have labored. I'm here to labor. And you have entered into their labor. So he gives this picture of harvest and work that's to be done because it's a lot of work, but there's a lot of joy when it's harvest time. But I sent you Jews to do the harvest because he's talking with Samaritans. I sent you Jews to do this, but you can't pull it off. But now someone else is here, I hear Jesus saying, to do the work of the harvest, to actually harvest. What is he harvesting? Eternal life. That was a verse before that said that, harvesting of eternal life. And now you are able to enter in to someone else's labor. We have a phrase for that, entering into someone else's labor. A phrase for when you are given the full rights and, 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 and freedoms and abilities and accomplishments that someone else did. It's called grace. It's the work that Jesus did that you had no ability to do on your own, but because of his grace and his mercy, we enter into this thing of eternal life that he simply gives it to us. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. I see Jesus saying that this laborious work of performing God's will to bring in this harvest of eternal life is not going to be accomplished by people, even the Jews, but by others, these others that are laboring. I think that's talking about himself. And you enter into that labor. Jesus, full of grace and truth. So how do we enter into this labor? How do we enter into this eternal life? How do we receive it? Well, John doesn't leave us hanging. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him. Follow how many times the word believe, pistuo in the Greek, is used. From that time, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. So they're believing because of her testimony. Verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed with them for two days. Now, typically, the Jews walked completely around Samaria because they hated them. But now, Jesus, a Jew, and the disciples, can you imagine that conversation? Hey, guys, we're going to stay here for two days. They're like, I didn't even want to walk through this place. I can't wait to wash my feet off once I get out of this place. And you want to stay here for two days? So Jesus stays with them for two days. What do you think they're talking about? I think they're talking about these same things that he's been talking about. The grace of God, the forgiveness of sins, the ending of the old take toting your water pot to the well every day because there's a new living water within, taking the seen and making it, uh, revealing the unseen. Verse 41. Now look at this. Many more believed because of his word. 
There's another word, believed. How do we enter into this harvest? How do we enter into the work of what someone else has done? See what's happening with Samaritans? Just believing. They're believing his word. Well, what about the performance? What about what they do? What about their behavior changes? None of that's here. They're believing his word. And what is his word? His word is someone else is going to do the work for you. You'll enter into someone else's labor. Verse 42, and they were saying to the woman. Now, remember, they just said in verse 38, 39, that we're believing because of what he told you. And that's pretty awesome. We're in. Now, look at this. It is no longer <laughs> because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. So it's not just what you're telling us about him. We've experienced it too. Now, how many people, this is important for the next little paragraph. How many people in Samaria were raised from the dead? We just read it. How many people? None, right? How many, we just read it. How, not, not your question. How many people in Samaria were cured of leprosy? How many people in, in, in Samaria were drinking dirty water and it turned into the best wine ever? None. How many miracles, how many signs and wonders were performed in Samaria? Now, we could say that he told her all the stuff about her that nobody, that, that, that certainly was miraculous, don't get me wrong. But as far as physical signs and wonders, not a simple single word, one. They believed his word. And his word was that of grace and truth. Now, remember that because we're going to see a beautiful comparison to some others. After the two days, he went forth from there into Galilee. So he continues his journey up north, and Galilee is like 100% Jewish. So you have the Jewish Judea, you have the Samaria, Samaria in between, and you have Galilee up north. So now he goes back into Jew country, okay? Watch this. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So Jesus is going into his own country. Nazareth is in Galilee. So this is where he's from. And he's saying, I'm leaving Samaria. They're receiving it. They're believing it. They're believing my word, not, not, not actions. They're believing what I'm saying to them. And I'm going to go up to Galilee and a prophet talking about himself is not going to be on. I'm not going to have, I'm not going to be honored there. Now, wait a second, because the very next verse says, so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him. So how is a prophet not being honored when they're receiving him? This was what I pondered all week long because I didn't get it. And then check this out. Having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast. Remember, he turned the money tables over. You know, he, he, did, he did all the different things in Jerusalem. For they themselves were also at the feast. They received him because of what they had what? What's that word there? Seen. What did the Samaritans see? Nothing. They heard and they what? Believed. But they received them because of what they what? saw. And what I hear Jesus saying is this, I am not being honored because they are simply believing because of something they have seen. 
as opposed to true faith, which is believing and not what? Seeing. Therefore, he came again to Cana. What happened in Cana in chapter 2? That's where the what was? The wedding, the water into wine, where he had made, oh, right there, made the water wine. And there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum, another town over. When he heard that Jesus had come out, hey, you turn water into wine, you can do some other cool stuff that we can see, all right? He comes to him, and he was imploring him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And this is what Jesus replies, the compassionate, merciful Jesus this is his reply. Unless you people, that doesn't sound very compassionate. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will simply not believe. Now let's compare that with the Samaritans. What did the Samaritans see? What signs did they see? They received a word of forgiveness, of grace, of not having to come back and forth with that pot all the time, but that a living wellspring of life was going to be in them. And now he's back in his own country, Israel, with the Jews. And he's, I mean, we're going to read the rest of it. He heals them. But it's almost like reluctant. You see this? He's like, I'm going to do this, but you won't believe me unless you see something. What is it that Jesus says later on in his ministry? Blessed are those who believe and yet have not seen. I think talking about you and me. But these people will only believe if they see something. Verse 49, the royal official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. I mean, he's begging him to come. So Jesus said to him, go, your son lives. There's your sign. Was that Bill Engel? There's your sign. So go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he started off. So, I mean, there was faith here. He hasn't seen the son come back to life yet or to be healed. But it was only because of what he did. The physical miracle. 51, as he was now going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was now living. So he inquired of them the hour when he had begun to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, which is about 1 o'clock p.m., the fever left him. And the royal official did the math. He knew that that was the same exact hour which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed, he and his whole household. But the belief was predicated by what? Seeing a sign and a wonder. This again, a second sign. You see that? A second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. What was the first sign? The water into what? Wine. Now, is this fantastic? Is this a miraculous? Is this awesome? It sounds like, Walt, man, you're kind of being a buzzkill. Jesus just brought a kid back to life. That's pretty awesome. Why are you so, like, I'm just saying, like, I'm just trying to follow the thought that John is putting together here. Sandwiched in between these two groups, the Jews in the South and the Jews in the North, is this people of the Samaritans, which were hated and despised. And Jesus finds in the people that were hated and despised, Jesus found true what? Faith. Because of his words, not because of actions. 
Do you not also detect the hint of reluctancy in Jesus's voice unless you see a sign? Do you detect that? And I submit to you that every single sign, every single miracle, every single miraculous thing had a purpose, and that was to be a catalyst for belief. Not the end and of itself, but it was to be a catalyst to help people believe. But they only believed because of a miracle. And again, what miracles did Jesus perform for the Samaritans? None. They believed his word, the words that were coming out of his mouth. So here's our question as we wrap up today. Which is true faith? Which is true faith? Blessed are those who believe and yet will not see. Seeing a miracle and then believing, hey, that's cool, and Jesus did it, so let's not knock it too hard. That's awesome. Fantastic. But is that genuine faith, seeing and then believing? I, I don't know. I'm not saying that they're not saved. I'm not saying they're not in heaven. I'm not saying that. But, but that's, that's the exception, not the rule. The rule, the normal, is Jesus making a statement and you believing it. The Samaritans impressed Jesus, not with their heritage, because that was all jacked up, not with their religious system, because they were like, which mountain are we going to worship on? And not even with their financial stability, because they really didn't have much other than some land. But it was their faith. It was their faith that caused him to stay with the evil Samaritans for how many days? Two days. They believed his word. The word of grace. Here's our journey marker for today. And if this speaks to you, fantastic. If it doesn't, you know, I hope you still come back next week. Sometimes, and I know this is true for me, sometimes we seek signs. We seek miraculous. We seek the miracles, which, hey, I'm not opposed to. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes we seek signs when really, when it comes down to it, we just need to believe what he said. If Jesus accompanies what he's doing in our world today with the miraculous intervention, take Jeff, for example, full use of his legs again, and the toes that have been amputated or grown back, awesome. Praise the Lord. And he's able to do that. He's absolutely able to do that. If he can call a universe into being in six days, I'm pretty sure he can help Jeff out in that sense. But what I hear John writing and the Spirit impressing upon my heart is that's wonderful, that's awesome. But genuine faith is not accompanied by, oh, Jesus did something, now I'm going to believe it. Genuine faith is in the face of no signs, no wonders. But yet he has a spoken, revealed word that you will enter into his work you who do no labor will enter into his harvest of eternal life. Will you believe that? That's the spoken word. And if we believe it, we enter in. Now he came across some people who weren't ready to believe it. And so he did some miracles as a catalyst. But his he was more, I submit to you, more impressed with the Samaritans who simply believed the spoken word, the revealed word, than he was. He, he, he said that they were not wanting him, honoring him. I'm not even being honored in this place. Well, they're believing, but why? 
So sometimes we seek the signs, the wonders. And I think, I think maybe we just need to believe what he has said. And what has he said? What he has said is that if you believe him, you will exit this domain of darkness and be transferred into the kingdom of the beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, if we're waiting for signs to show us that or to prove us that, and then we believe, I'm just not sure if that was honoring to the Lord. He said, when I return, shall I not find faith? Not people asking for signs. What did he say later? It wasn't in this. He says later, he says, a wicked and perverse generation seeks signs. And I'm just saying, I don't want to be that. <laughs> I want to just simply be one that believes what he said. And what has he said? Let's believe it. And he has said that all your sins have been removed. But does that mean we don't still sin daily? Of course we do. All of our sins that were removed were future sins. And we still have sins that we do, unfortunately. But they have been completely removed from our account. He no longer considers them. He considered them once in his son, and they have been removed. So sometimes we seek signs, but really we just need to believe what he has said. Sometimes we seek signs of, if this is really true, that God lives in me, that I'm his, well then my family's going to change, my job's going to change, my this is going to change. We keep seeking signs to validate what he has promised. I'm not going to give you a hard time because I do that too. I mean, we, we all struggle in that sense. I'm just saying maybe that's not the way of it. Maybe it's we believe what he has said and that whatever comes from that comes from that. Whatever happens from that happens from that. But let us just simply believe what he has revealed and let him worry about the rest. So I just love this chapter where this interaction with the least likely, the Samaritans, the least likely, no signs, no wonders, they just believed. I think in this chapter, I'd rather be a Samaritan than a Jew. That's what I want my life characterized by. You told me something? Doesn't make a lick of sense. I don't know how you know that. I don't know how this is, but I'm just going to believe it. As opposed to needing signs and wonders in order to facilitate faith. All right, so uh, we're going to jump into chapter 5 next week. But what um, before we wrap up today, any questions or thoughts or uh, comments? But what about something that maybe you saw that you've never seen before, something that makes uh, good sense to you that you might want to share? Uh, maybe you, like me, we struggle with seeking signs to validate faith. That can look a million different ways. Um, any thoughts? I was just thinking about the, I don't know whether they were thought before that the Samaritans didn't have signs, but it's kind of consistent with how the Jews who doubled down to really get it right mm -hmm. seem to miss it right. because of their works. Yeah. And the Samaritans who didn't have a law received it earlier than the others yeah. without the signs. Yeah. And uh, so that. That, that to me is, is the kind of consistency that I yeah. get in, in, in And I just think about the, the, the valve leading in a water pot. Uh, I know we thought about 
anything about my daughter. Mm -hmm. I remember that, that, that she left. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, it's just amazing how it brings up a mirror of thoughts and kind of stuff related to that. So I was thinking perhaps when she left the water pot, uh, maybe the reason, part of the reason she left it there was that at least she was not in that seeking sure, the deeper thing. And but perhaps she left it because maybe she was still holding out a little bit that maybe I won't be thirsty again, or maybe I'll never need really need mm -hmm. And but then as it relates to that, later when she found out that maybe, oh, I really get the big picture now. Of course my water bottle. <laughs> Um, so I have to think of the idea that when we seek his kingdoms, he said he knows you need all these things. Yeah. And I think she came back and said, my water pot's still here. And, and I, I may need this, but I need to get the big picture. Right. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, obviously, physically, she has to do more. Like I was saying, yeah. But just the, the uh, and you know, let's leave room for the fact that the water pot being left there means nothing. Right, let's really drink that. But but it just it just seems too specific for us not to like ask that question. What could this possibly mean? Yeah, good stuff. Any other thoughts or questions or comments? Don't, do you find yourself? I know I do as this woman that David talked about last week, and we kind of wrapped up today, of looking for things in this world to bring the deepest longing, satisfaction. I mean, yeah, it's, it's each one of us in one way, shape, or another. Maybe not through husbands, but maybe through this or that. I mean, it's uh, that speaks to each of us, I think. Yes, ma'am. Seeking signs in order to believe is that. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Did you hear what she said? She said the danger of demanding almost like a sign is that there always has to be a next sign and the next sign and the next sign. You know, and can there be? Can God give signs? Of sure, if he wants, but let's just be very careful that that's not what predicates our faith or is the catalyst for our faith. But our faith is just simply believing what he has said. Okay. Yeah, but sorry, well, you were speaking first. Go ahead. Um, kind of also, like, even when God does show us signs, at least nowadays, people are even skeptical of signs. They're like, oh, well, that could be just caused because of random chance, or that could be just. Because he was a really good doctor, or whatever, or like, yeah. it doesn't really even convince people nowadays because they just they're not they don't want to. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's just something in our society now that's different from back then, or if it's like well, if that science is so prevalent in our society that. It, and there's been a perversion of these yeah. things. Like I just read it. I didn't even think about this until now that I just read yesterday. An article that says that the uh, pastor, I think in like uh, Africa or somewhere, somewhere before, had is being sued because he faked bringing somebody back to life. And it, and it wasn't Benny Hinn. It was somebody else. And um, and and I'm just like, why do you have to do that? Why do you why do you feel compelled to have to do that? Anyways. What are you saying? Um, I was thinking about signs while I was thinking about um, prayer requests this morning. Yeah. Okay, so why pray then? But, yeah. No, I think, I think where it comes, he does want us to 
or he cares about it. Let's just put it that way. We seek a certain outcome. Yeah. I think that's the difference. Yeah, you know, and I, I've thought and wrestled with that very deal, you know, many a times. And in the way that where I kind of sit, whether it's right or wrong, I don't know. Where I sit is, um, look, if I had my druthers, this is where I'd rather it be. Um, great surgery, Jeff being healed, you know, so forth and so on. But bigger than that is God, whatever, like like the three Hebrew boys, they told Nicodemus, not Nicodemus, uh, Nebuchadnezzar. They said, Nebuchadnezzar, our God is able to deliver us through this fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, see that part we forget sometimes. Even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow our knee to you. I love it. It's like he's able and we trust him that if that's what he wants to do, that's what's going to happen. But even if it doesn't, it doesn't going to change anything because our faith isn't predicated upon signs like you're getting at. The danger of that, our faith is predicated just by what he has said. Is he trustworthy? If he is, then let's believe. If he's not trustworthy, then boy, you better give us all these different signs to show that you, that you can. And that's where I, I get back to, is that really even faith? I don't know. I don't think it is. And so... Anyways, a great point. Yeah. I have another, I guess, parallel with our relationship with God, uh, between our relationship with each other. I mean, it's kind of like with anything, with any relationship. Um, I mean, do you really love me? Well, get me a diamond ring. Or do you really love me? Get me a, um, I don't, I mean, yeah. you can put any, any right. different thing in there. But, um, we as humans, I think, want proof. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's like um, from the other end of it, the person that's trying to prove their love is like, why do you need proof? Mm-hmm. Like, God's perspective, right. you should know that I love you. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And he has proof. Yeah. Romans 5 8, God yeah. demonstrated his love for us. Like, he proved his love. And that way we get while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Like, what more proof do you want? Like, that's that's it. Exactly. Awesome. Yeah, good thoughts. Yes, sir. So you're pointing it off, which is greater, or is there a difference between somebody who believed because of science or without the science? I had to think of Thomas. Mm-hmm. And in the end it was said that 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 you can because you saw. Right. But less this demand. Right. But I'm almost Thinking that maybe he's saying more or less is the man who believes without the science. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we can maybe have different ideas about that. But I would say that the person who believes because of the science that believes has, has opportunity through their lifetime to believe the science. Of course. And be parallel yes. to those who. Absolutely. Otherwise, why would Jesus do all these signs? Yes. I mean, the science word, I, I think, has to be a catalyst. But, but not what sustains it. Yeah, right. Yeah, every single miracle, you can go through, every single miracle he does is, in my opinion, done to, to, to shake people from the reliance upon Moses and to reorient them to a reliance upon Jesus. Every single one. But it cannot be the sign that sustains that. The faith has to come in. Because it's the, the without faith, it's impossible to please God. He was alive. And uh, so I don't want to take anything away from the people, even this guy, right, who believed. Because the son was, he, I mean, he believed, clearly. But it's Jesus himself who draws the contradiction. You know, you only believe because you see. It's kind of like he's saying, I was just with these guys up the road. 
who believe without seeing just because I told it to them. And that's really cool. Awesome. Any other thoughts, questions, comments? Good stuff. Jimmy, you got any thoughts? Interesting about uh, when the woman left her pod went into the city. Then, you know, they, they were all coming back. The disciples come back trying to get in to eat something. It's like they're going, why are you so energetic? Mm-hmm. You, know, you need food, but you, we think you need food. You don't need food. So what's going on here? And it's like he was energized mm-hmm. by the woman taking from him. Right, right. It's yeah. kind of like a, uh, you know, he was doing the will of the Father. Right. It was the precondition right. right. of the covenant that would come when right. he would give himself right. to mankind. It energized him that that woman yeah. took from him. That's awesome. And it's like, you know. So, so he says uh, in Matthew, uh, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. That's hard for us to understand because we think that we're here to serve him. And Paul says, in Acts, it's so cool, he says, do you really think that God needs people to serve him? He needs no one to serve him. We don't serve him. Andrew Farley says often, he says, living for Jesus is a dead-end road. Living from Jesus is life. Man, I've been there. I have been there, I've been there, and I can testify to that. From him is life. For him, trying to do for, for, for him. Burnout City. Samaritan said uh, for the to how to be a neighbor. And oh, the Samaritans yeah. here, they didn't see a sign or anything. They didn't yeah. believe. And then the sure. Samaritan was the one who actually comes. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's uh, cool. Yeah. All right, awesome. Well, let's uh, we close with a word of prayer. And I really am glad that you guys are all here. Hopefully, uh, we have a great time, uh, great week, and uh, get back next week, and we jump into Chapter 5. Really excited about it. Father, we just thank you for, uh, again, just revealing to us this new covenant, this new truth, this new way. I, I think of like Jeremiah, or was it Isaiah? I forget, uh, as it is written somewhere, that uh, consider not the ways of old, the things of old, for behold, I am doing a new thing. I love it. Our minds naturally are so oriented into the old way, the old covenant, the old system of of do good, be blessed, do bad, be cursed. But you have done something miraculous. You have put an end to that, just as the city, Shikar, even means end. You put an end to that system and you you are doing something new where we enter into your labor. Awesome. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.